So this morning, we're continuing to think about our journey through the Apostles' Creed. So we've been thinking about the Father, we've been thinking about the Son, and now this morning we're going to get a little bit Christmassy. We're going to be thinking about how Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and He was born of the Virgin Mary. There's a wee story of a chap who was watching a couple of workers who were doing some work on his street, and he, and he, was, he was watching them, and the first boy was digging a hole. He emptied the hole, and after a while, the second chap filled in the hole. He, he took all the earth that he just chucked out and put it back in the hole, and they went and they did this all up the street. Eventually, he came up to the guy the, who was in the house watching the, all this, came out and said, what, what are you two up to? And he said, well, one of the guys said, well, I dig the hole and he fills in the hole. I said, well, why on earth are you doing this? Ah, well, we're usually a three-man team and the boy who plants the trees is off sick today. It's got nothing to do with the sermon. It's just, you, you know, I, I firmly, I, I've, been reading, I've been reading a little bit of uh, Bill Johnson this week and, and, and last week as well. He's a, he's a minister in, in Reading in California, Bethel Church, uh, quite, a, quite a, an amazing church where lots of amazing things happen. But he, he says in one of his books that we should laugh, we should enjoy life, that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we don't have joy in our hearts, we're not going to have strength. I think that's, that's quite an interesting one. You know, if, if we want to if we want to step out and live in this world, in this creation, with all the trials that are there, if we can't do it with a bit of joy, with a bit of hope, and a bit of laughter, then we're not going to have strength. And, and, and that also has got nothing to do with the sermon. But I just, I would love, and I think, I think we're at it, I think we're, we're on it, that, that as, a, as a church, as a body in Dalkeith, we should be known for the joy of the Lord. We should be known that no matter what happens, no matter what we face, we have joy, even in the hardest of times. I believe the joy of the Lord comes when we invite His presence in, even in sickness, even in trial, we can still hold on to joy. And, and I know that for many people, that's a tough word. And I know that maybe for you today, where you're struggling, you're really struggling to find joy and laughter and happiness. But in Him, in Him, all things will become complete. And He asks us, He, he delights in us having joy. Anyway, I, I, I've gone off on one. I didn't mean to talk about that this morning, but maybe it's for you. Maybe it's a word for you. We are going to get a little bit Christmassy in June today. I hope that's okay. To, to think about what it means 
Actually, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. It doesn't matter what time of year it is because Christmas is always awesome, isn't it? It's brilliant. But of course, if you delve into the historical stuff, you discover that Jesus probably wasn't born at Christmas time. The, the early Christian ministries who came to Europe, they, they took over the winter solstice and they used that date for Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And probably with the help of Charles Dickens and, and Queen Victoria's husband, Albert, and many other companies jumping on the bandwagon, we have this wonderful celebration every year that's full of stress, full of arguments, and an emptying bank account to meet everybody's idea of what a perfect Christmas is. Now, it may sound slightly cynical there from your minister, just what he was saying there. And I'm sorry if I do sound a bit skeptical about it. Because for me, Christmas is wonderful. We love Christmas. We get excited about Christmas. But Christmas probably has very little to do with the birth of Jesus. Christmas is a brilliant time to remember what Jesus has done. But actually, Christmas gets in the way too often with presents and food and all that stuff. And you can say it in June, because if you say it in December, you just sound like Scrooge before he got converted. You know, so, so by saying it here, I'm just getting out of the way. Does Christmas actually have much to do with the gospel? And indeed, if you look at the New Testament, you discover that there are only two writers that speak about the birth of Jesus. Out of, out of 29 books, there's only two writers, Matthew and Luke, who speak about Jesus' birth. And Luke, interestingly, focuses on Mary, and Matthew focuses on Joseph. They, they take two different two different outlooks at what Christmas means. So, we're going to read just from Matthew's account this morning at Matthew chapter 1 at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she, found to be, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So the deal was that if, if someone was caught in adultery, and even in that betrothal stage, the worst thing that could happen was they could be put to death. But Joseph didn't, didn't want to do that, and he, he had it in mind to just divorce her, to separate quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, in the Greek form of Joshua, means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Isaiah 7 verse 14, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to 
God for the reading of His Holy Word. There's a lot, lot going on in there. A lot that you've heard probably every Christmas, but we tend to we tend to glide over because there's kids present at Christmas time services. We tend to glide over what has been mentioned here, and we're thinking this morning from the Apostles' Creed that line that declares that Jesus was conceived, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. And if you look at your theology books, if you look at your history books, this has been discussed and discussed and discussed throughout the ages. There's been all sorts of interesting ideas about it. And it can be, and has been, maybe not so much these days, but it has been an issue for people to come to faith. And it's often been an issue where Christians have a fault. I mean, it was, I think it was the Bishop of Durham maybe 30 years ago, who, who denied the virgin birth and denied the resurrection and denied all the kind of supernatural stuff. There is, there's often disagreements about it. But really, it's one for our culture today that when we, when we have, I'm going to get a little bit political now, when we have a health secretary who resigns not because he committed adultery, but because he breached social distancing rules, it's interesting, the, the, I'm not passing comment on that, well I am, but, but it's interesting how our society views it, that the, the adultery is not wrong, it's the social distancing that's wrong. I'm just going to leave that there. I just think it's ridiculous. However, in our society, virginity is not prized and cherished as something holy either, is it? It's not a virtue to protect. Indeed, if you look at movies and if you look at, you know, social media, it's something to be mocked for our kids in school when there's so much pressure on them to, to have sex, get it out of the way, that you're still a virgin is a mockery. But it is something, I believe, to be cherished and protected and kept till marriage. And we have this whole situation going on here with Joseph and Mary. How on earth can a baby be born of a virgin? I want you to just remind you, I want to just remind you of Pete Gregg, whose quote I used a couple of weeks ago, who says that every line of the Apostles' Creed is a miracle. When you read through the Apostles' Creed, you see that every line is a miracle of God. Every line is a declaration, a declaration of the supernatural, the power of God invading His creation. And this line once more confirms it. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It is miraculous. And I don't think we should dismiss it. But first of all, we probably should call it what it is. It's not a virgin birth. It's a virgin conception. How do we, how do we find out about this? Because there's only two writers that mention it in the, in the New Testament. There's only two that mention it. They are Luke and they are Matthew. And I think that they got the story, or it was passed to them by Joseph and Mary. I think they probably kept it quite quiet as a family. Jesus was mocked. You see this in the, in the Gospels when it said that, is this not the son of Mary? And this is, this is an insult 
because they're not mentioning dad. They're saying he, he's illegitimate. He is, he is not the one. I think Joseph and Mary, Mary, we read in the Gospels that she cherished all these things and kept them close to her heart when she was thinking about how Jesus grew up. And I think, I think they let it slip to a few and it began to be shared. And Matthew and Luke, as they were close to the disciples, heard this amazing news. It's interesting because Matthew highlights the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And he doesn't actually need to. He doesn't need to go into this area, but he wants to show to the Jewish readership that Jesus is the one who is prophesied over. He is the Messiah to come. And also, interestingly, no one, no one elsewhere in the Gospels calls him Emmanuel. I think you've noticed that. Nobody else calls him Emmanuel, but Matthew says he will be called Emmanuel. And actually, throughout time is where we've declared that, that God is with us. I think Matthew could have saved himself, and Luke could have saved himself, and others a whole lot of problems if they'd just not mentioned the birth of Jesus. They didn't do it in Mark, and John does a kind of philosophical kind of thing. He could have just ignored it. But I think he mentioned it. I think Luke highlights it quite a bit to show that something significant was going on, something that was so different from anything that had ever gone before. I want to tell you a wee story. We story, there was a Methodist conference, and there was one chap, this was maybe probably about 150 years ago now, there was a Methodist conference, and there was one young chap who stood up, and he was talking about the possibilities of flight, there was the possibilities of flight, that man one day, humanity would one day fly. And then Bishop Wright stood up. Bishop Wright stood up, waggy finger, and he, he cut the guy down to shreds. He said, there's no danger that men and women were meant to fly. If we were, we'd have been born with wings, all that kind of stuff. He got in a rage, and the young boy sat down, put in his place, and Bishop Wright sat down too. Now, the significant thing about this story is Bishop Wright was against flying. He had two sons. His two sons were Orville and Wilbur. They manned the first ever flight. Now, why do I share this story? Well, I share this story because we all prefer the comfort of what has been rather than take on the risks of the future. What happened with Jesus in this conception, in this virgin conception, was something that never happened before. Because Jesus is utterly unique. There's never been one like him, and there never will be one like him. Fully God and fully human. And his birth was done in a special way. There's no precedence in the Jewish biblical stories. There's no precedence in pagan myths, although some would try and suggest that there is. There's nothing like Jesus. And indeed, in the Old Testament, there was Isaac, there was Samson, who were born in special ways, but dads were always there. And also, John the Baptist, he had a special birth, but the dads were always present. For the, for the birth of Jesus 
It is unique. It's unique because there's never been one like him. So I hope you're still with me. Why would Matthew and Luke mention this? There's no real need. It may only cause problems unless it really happened. In Luke, the conception is also discreet, as Matthew is, that Gabriel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. There's a sense of protection there, a reminder of the Shekinah glory that fell with the children of Israel when the presence of God came. The gospel writers are more concerned about the fact, not about the fact that it happened. They're more concerned that the infinite entered into his creation. So what is the meaning of it all? Well, for me, as I believe in, as I believe in the virgin birth, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this explains the incarnation of the Son of God. It was a normal birth. Jesus came out in the usual way, but it's miraculous. And it's a sign of the bigger miracle that God has come to the earth and that there is, there is no one like Jesus. If it didn't happen this way, I don't think Matthew and Luke could have written about it. Matthew shows that Joseph was an upright and a faithful man. If it didn't happen this way, he wouldn't have written it. Luke would not have placed Jesus' birth above John the Baptist's birth. It would have been the same. The virgin conception is neither argued or explained. It's simply assumed as fact, and he is named Jesus, for God will save. His birth, like his life, is a miraculous event that will save the world. This is a starting point for the new creation. So, what does this mean for you and for me? Well, if we look at the two main characters, if we look at Joseph, if we look at Mary, they needed divine revelation. Joseph needed divine revelation to marry Mary. Mary also needed divine revelation to guide her through her fear, but she was also a willing servant. She was ready. She was ready to let God be born in her, even in her fear. <laughs> there's, there's a terrible statistic this week. I shouldn't be laughing. That one in 12 parents wish that they'd never had kids. I don't know if you'd picked up on that. I wonder, did Joseph or Mary with the journey that was ahead of them, would they have ever regretted Jesus being born in their lives? I don't think so. They witnessed some amazing things, sometimes confusing, sometimes challenging, sometimes heartbreaking when you read of Mary as her son goes to the cross. But I do not think they would have regretted it. Life was on the go, and life can often be very confusing, heart-wrenching, but full of joy. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, I think we can be like Joseph and Mary. 
and we need to be ready for divine revelation, to be positioned in a place where we can hear His voice clearly, to allow Him to birth new life in us, to be willing servants. And how do we do this? How do we nurture His presence? What steps do you and I need to take? Well, as Kay was speaking about finding rest, we all need to do that. And often it's in the rest that we hear God much more clearly. Take time. Find a quiet spot and listen. Or perhaps, like Mary, you need to submit. Perhaps you think you need to keep in control. But there are times, most of the time, you need to bend the knee and allow Him to work in you, to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your will be done. What does that look like for you today? There was a small fellow. He was not much over five feet tall, and he applied for a lumberjack job in Alaska. And the, the gaffer, the foreman, thinking to discourage him, gave him a large axe, set him before a tree that was hundreds of feet tall and yards in diameter, and told him to chop it down. And within minutes, the tree was down. The tree had been felled, and the foreman was amazed, and he asked where he'd learned to chop trees so powerfully. And the little fellow replied, that was when I worked in the Sahara forest. And the, the foreman said, you mean the Sahara desert? And the little fellow said, that was after I got there. The point of this story is that size is less important than your spirit and your courage. The greatest miracle that ever happened is that God took on flesh. If we can accept that miracle, we should have no fear over the virgin birth. It's seldom mentioned in the New Testament, and I think it was shared from Jesus' intimate family. Mary, I think, held these things dear and revealed them only to a select few. And as Jesus was insulted, as Joseph was insulted, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 would have taken on more importance, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. It would have taken on so much more importance for the cross and the resurrection. The people had seen the miraculous across the ministry and the life and the death of Jesus. And when Mary shared what happened at his birth, it all fits into place. See, that's the thing. It all fits into place. The Old Testament, Old Testament history, the Old Testament prophecy, divine revelation, human submission, God's people listening and willing, it all fits together in this wonderful tapestry that God has for each one of us. God's people were listening and willing. Will you and I be the same? I'd like to indulge a little bit more of Christmas just now as I say these words. O little child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born 
in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Will you let him be born afresh in you today? Will you be open to God speaking and giving you divine revelation? Will you be willing to submit to his will for all that he's got for you? Because when we, with willing and submissive hearts, when we let him in, he will do amazing things through us. We need to let him in. Andrew's going to come and lead us in prayer.